Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with what I think is going to be a very interesting conversation. No pressure, Brant. <laughs> this is going to be with Brant Scheifler. So Brant and I actually met up. We're both working with the same client who will not be named, but is running a fantastic estate planning practice. And we got to talking a little bit around some stuff around the client. And I realized that Brant had a really fascinating brain as far as marketing tactics. It's a very philosophical guy. And I just wanted to talk about some stuff related to legal marketing that I think you guys are going to appreciate. So thanks for being on the show, Brant. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So we were actually talking a little bit before the pre-call about a story that you had, which I thought was a really good metaphor. Do you mind kind of filling the audience in on a story you had about your uncle and the fishing? Yeah, absolutely. So full disclosure, I'm not a fisherman. I grew up in a hunting family. It just wasn't my thing. I, I love to go snowboarding instead of going hunting. So that was my story. But my uncle, who was borderline professional fisherman. He actually, there's a story my aunt would tell where about an hour before dinner guests would show up at their house, he'd be heading out of the house and she'd say, where are you going, Mike? And he'd say, I'm going to catch dinner. And it just blew her mind that he had that kind of confidence that at that kind of time frame before the guests are coming, even knowing what kind of fish he wanted to have for dinner, he would run down to the lake because they lived on a lake, go out in his boat, come back with fresh dinner. And so that just blew my mind because, again, I'm not a fisherman and I've never really seen that sort of confidence. I mean, he has records in, in some states for fish he's caught. But the whole point I want to make there is that he knew what he was fishing for, he knew what lure and bait to use, and he also knew where those fish hung out because he fished that lake almost every day. And when we talk about marketing, especially these days, Jan, it gets really like we like to look at this stuff through a microscope with analytics and data and all these things when the best paradigm or lens i think anyone can use when they're thinking about growing their practice is fishing and i'd like to kind of use that as our context as we're talking about marketing because we have to know what kind of fish you want to catch how to catch them and where they hang out whenever we're talking about marketing yeah i totally agree and to your point we have so many options today in marketing and it, it is something that was very exciting piece by piece. And it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at the history of this stuff, the internet comes into the public eye probably in the nineties and then kind of gets some wider distribution around the turn of the millennium. And then every single new channel was very exciting and very new, but what you're stepping into it and God forbid you're starting a practice in 2020, there's just so many different options. It's bewildering, but to your point, if you, you have this kind of context in the same way that your uncle had with the lures and that kind of thing, you can get predictable results. You just have to know where things are, are coming from. I'll also kind of say this too. This reminds me of something that's been kind of on my mind. And we've had a couple solo podcasts about this. Referrals are maybe like walking around and seeing if a trap goes in. But the things that the people who know that they can eat every single day, <laughs> the people who know how to fish, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I was driving past a lake earlier. I live in, I grew up in Minnesota, so lakes everywhere. Now I live in North Carolina and they're a little fewer, but I was driving past one and I was thinking about this analogy 
And I thought, man, I don't know how to fish. Of course, I've been fishing. If I wanted to go out there and catch something, how would I go about it? And I thought the wrong way. I'd go to the store. I'd look at fishing poles. I wouldn't know the difference between one or the other. I'd probably shop on price. This one's kind of affordable. Let me buy this or it looks cool. Then I'd look for bait. Oh, these are shiny. All right, cool. I There's this little podunk gas station not too far from where I live. I know they have a sign for live bait. Maybe I'd grab some of that. Then I'd head out to the lake. I don't know what's in the lake, but it's the one closest to me. So I'd throw my line in and I'd see what I could catch. Now, maybe after a couple hours, I catch nothing. And I can walk away thinking, well, there's no fish in that lake. That didn't work. I mean, is that the right assessment? Is that the is that a solid conclusion to form based on my yeah right experience? <laughs> yeah, so I could head pack up, head back to the car, put my stuff in the trunk. Oh, there's a guy with a string of fish. Hmm. Okay, he was at the same lake. He must know something that I don't. And then I ask, Oh, what kind of rod do you have? Which again is the wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's that's just I run into this day in day out just in terms of marketing. And so I think it, it, it's just a great lens to use as we kind of evaluate, well, how should a business owner go about thinking through their marketing? I have seven different things I thought that we could talk through, if that sounds good to you, or if you want to say anything about my story, we can go there too. Yeah, look, 100%. And I, I'll say as far as you, you actually ring, and this is, I'm kind of seeing a lot of angles to this metaphor, Brent. So it's been really good. But like, one of the things is that I see this kind of pervasive thing. And, and I honestly think it's kind of a self-serving mindset. If somebody ends up failing at something, be it marketing, be it anything else, the, the most ego protective interpretation take of what just took place was, well, it's impossible to do anyway. And just like in your metaphor, you had the guy who's walking around with the string of fish. Most law firms are probably able to point to somebody within a pretty close geographic radius that's making things work on a lot of different channels. If you wanted to pick one out of the book, there's probably somebody who's succeeding at any one. But honestly, it's it's you, when you kind of watch people's feet and not their lips, you kind of see that a lot of people don't actually believe that this stuff works. And when you look at the seven-figure and bigger firms that end up having this stuff happening repeatedly, then it's clearly obvious that this stuff works. But again, to your point, there's, there's so many different variables that it's really tough to kind of suss out from the outside. Also, I just kind of wanted to, and it's funny, I'm <laughs> making a bit of a diversion in my interview style to avoid this, but I think it bears a little bit of mentioning at this point, just as far as your background with marketing brand, like what would you say are like your kind of go-to tools, if you will, to helping out law firms and other clients? Yeah. In fact, I think the inception point of how I got into this is probably the most important. <laughs> So this goes back many years now. I got into this from a small business owner standpoint. So I've had a couple different types of businesses in different industries. This one specifically, we did sales and compliance training in, in a financial services niche. And we had this boy wonder genius kid who ran all of our online marketing. We had a lot of content that was self-hosted. And I just let him deal with all of it. All right. Well, then he started acting funny. And as we looked a little deeper, we realized that he kind of had this little cocaine problem. Ooh. <laughs> Didn't expect that one. <laughs> neither did I. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like assume the best kind of, you know, person of others. Um, trust but verify as well. And upon further verification, it's like I told my business partner, listen, this is not a good situation. Not only do we not understand how any of this is working, 
we don't even have access to our content because it's at a server at his house. (laughs) So I better get involved and understand and, and get some control back. And thankfully that ended very well. But my, I guess, journey into understanding the digital marketing side, especially, has really grabbed my interest. And after exiting that business uh, later on, I just really stayed with the marketing piece and I began using it for my own purposes, helping friends. And then it kind of grew into more than that. And, it, and it's now you know, my business. But I, all that to say this, I come at this from a business owner's perspective. I really don't care. Let's just use a Facebook term here. I don't care about likes and shares. I care about leads and sales because I know as a business owner, the only thing that makes a difference and moves the needle is when new customers or clients are coming on board. And there are other objectives to consider as well, but that's how I got into this. And so that's really the paradigm that I use. I I don't know if that helps out at all there. No, I think that's super helpful. And like another thing, just to, as far as kind of where it went from there, like I know that you have a pretty broad skill set and stuff that you offer with, with automated outreach, but was the content, that's still something that you're, you're very interested in today, the content and the SEO, right? Yeah. So again, caring only really about results and obviously getting them the right way. Bernie Madoff had results, right? But we don't, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the, process, the process does matter. But in measuring different channels, I kept coming back to organic or SEO as being a, a channel that would really deliver long-term value for clients. Because, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but the type of clients that we serve are service-based clients. They could be white collar, like an attorney. They could be blue collar, like a plumber. But if a consumer is going out to Google to research a question, to read content, to find a solution, we've just found that SEO or optimizing the website and showing up for those important search queries just delivers a lot of value. And so that's where I really centered my efforts and and we've just stuck with it for a very long time for those reasons. Okay, awesome. And I'll also just kind of break the third wall here. If you've noticed, we're probably about 10 minutes in the conversation. We haven't mentioned a link or a domain authority or anything like that, which is why Brant's one of the guys I like to talk about SEO. (laughs) So so sorry about the little diversion, but yeah, just uh, now that we have a little bit of context. So I'm actually super interested to talk about these points that you had here. So, I mean, let's kind of maybe take a frame and if we can maybe map this a little bit on the fly. Um, One of the things I think would be kind of useful, and especially for some of this this content stuff, is is kind of this this conversation of of niche practices of the law. And maybe someone that deals with, I mean, I think we both have a shared estate planning client, but maybe somebody who's dealing with something. Let's say they deal with estate planning for non-traditional families or something like that. So if we're thinking about something like that or a very specific client, so maybe we'll just kind of keep that as as a moving target as as we go, go through these. Yeah, let's reference that as an example and make this as tangible as possible because that, that's what really counts in the end is a takeaway like that. Okay, awesome. So yeah, we can go ahead and get started. What was the first one on your list? All right. So yeah, these are things I see. Disclaimer here. I know we're talking to attorneys. I'm not blaming any of you if you make some of these mistakes. It's not your fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So number one, and this is irrespective of industry. First thing that I run into quite a bit is that Jan, you and I can I do, uh, do this too. Small business owners often focus on their trade and not client acquisition. And why is that? I mean, when you go through schooling, you're going through law school or you're going through an apprenticeship as a tradesperson, you're focused on that trade. You're focused on being excellent in that skill set. And that's extremely important. And there might be a class or maybe a chapter 
that talks about how to grow a practice, but it's, it's not emphasized. And so it's no surprise that when people, percentage of these people are going to move on to their own business, and they're just not equipped very well. They haven't been trained to, to value client acquisition almost equally as important as, as being excellent at what they do in their trade. And, and so that's the first thing that I see quite often. So yeah, no, it's interesting. So I mean, I think this is a lot of stuff that ends up getting disseminated in law school. And there's that old that old phrase, those who can do and those who can't teach. So um, you could probably bet that most of your law school professors weren't fantastically successful business people. Um, basically, I think there's a huge perception. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say that there's something wrong to be focused on. Obviously, your product is going to be the most important thing for driving word of mouth and that kind of thing. But it's vanishingly rare. And I speak to people all over the country and law firm owners when I'm doing a sales process for Case Fuel. And it's very rare that we see people who are like, yeah, you know, and, and every once in a while, I found I had, a, I had a guy I spoke to today. He has a word of mouth practice that is basically more than he can do. He, he would only be interested in growing clients if it's the absolute top of the chain. But again, he's been in practice for 37 years in a relatively remote affluent area. So if you want to wait fewer than 37 years, it, it probably you're going to need a little bit more of a boost than just doing good work. And the other thing too is to keep in mind is that the people that are doing that today started their careers in a different position. It was a lot less competitive to be a newly minted JD in 1985 than it will be for people who are getting minted right now. So whether that's even a sustainable strategy in 20 or 30 years, we can't even tell for right now. So I definitely agree. It's, yeah. it's, it's important to get the ball rolling and be able to control this at the end of the day, right? Yeah. You know where the rubber meets the road? I think everyone listening can identify with this because every city has, has this guy, okay? So... <laughs> Personal injury would be such an easy example, okay? But pick pick anything. Could be any industry. Every city has this person that has a massive market presence, and you look at them as a peer and see all the holes in what they do. And they're like, I can't believe they have all this business that that they have all this revenue, they have all these customers or clients, and yet they don't do this, they don't do that. I know they do that wrong. But yet they're growing well beyond what I've grown. And, and so there's this sort of resentment. And if I were to be honest, almost like an entitlement, because we believe this half truth, hey, if we are better at what we do than the other person, we will be more successful in terms of growth. Not always the case, unfortunately. That joker probably understands client acquisition better than you do. Now, it would be amazing if they understood client acquisition and had the chops that you do, because then it'd be a best case scenario for clients and for them. But anyway, um, that happens in every market. And there's always someone that people will talk about, like, I can't believe that guy. I can't believe they're so successful. Look at what they do. But yet there they are. And it's because they understand the marketing machine. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, if you kind of think about it too, to be able to understand what a good attorney is versus a bad attorney, you have to have a pretty well-developed skill set. So unless you're, you're marketing to other attorneys, a lot of the stuff that you think is legible might not be. Really? Okay, so super good point. All right, so number two, a common pitfall is that when we approach marketing, we think tactic instead of strategy. I'll give you a classic example, Okay. So especially as an attorney, I mean, you're on the list of everyone. Everyone thinks that you're rich. You have endless marketing budgets. And so whether it's software or lead gen companies or 
I mean, you name it. I don't, I don't need to give examples because your inbox and your phones are, are filled every day with someone trying to sell you something. And when that does, when one of those breaks through, what often happens is this, and you can't see me, but I'm holding up my cell phone, looking at it. I'm thinking, okay, is this widget, is this tactic good or is it bad as a, as a piece of marketing? Well, I mean, it might be good or it might be bad, but the question is, what's the strategy? Okay. And so if you don't have a strategy, what often happens is we end up being overly focused on the tactic. And because we aren't sure if the tactic's going to work or not, we ask how much it is. We either think it's cheap or expensive, and we make our determination based on that. But you know what's crazy, Jan? I'm not a huge stock guy, but let's just say that I wanted to plan for my retirement, and you were a stock guy. And I said, hey, is it is Tesla good for me to buy? I mean, how would you answer the question? I mean, yeah, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, Brand, are you trying to buy Tesla and sell it tomorrow for a profit? Might be good, might be bad. Brand, are you trying to, how much do you have to invest? What's your time horizon? I mean, what kind of risk tolerance do you have? There's all these questions that are going to lend itself to a better answer of yes or no. And so marketing shouldn't be a tactical approach where it's just this tactic or that. Let me say, there are some tactics that really shine regardless of strategy, and it depends on what's hot, and you can ride those out. But let me tell you, when the guy that rode Yellow Pages and only had a tactic and didn't have a strategy, guess what? When the tactic expires, you have this uh-oh moment, now what? And that's, that's where it becomes very revealing that there either is a strategy or isn't a strategy behind choosing those tactics. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I mean, it kind of reminds you this is this is interesting. So we've been doing a lot of testing internally just to see what kind of headlines people are clicking on. It's actually for for marketing our own services. And one of the things that we found that people really really love is the you know hey five common mistakes to avoid. Here's the quick tip. Here's our list of tools that you need to get started on this. And despite the fact that it's not like anywhere close to the best thing that people can actually do, I think there's this kind of interesting wishful thinking, I would say, in terms of people wanting to say, okay, yeah, well, it's, it's just, it, we're just one widget away. And I would even go so far as to say yeah. tactics might be easy and strategies a little bit harder. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it takes a special person to really sit down and think through strategy. And it, that said, I mean, let's reference school again. It, even, even like Silicon Valley has thrown out old school business planning where you have this three-inch business plan. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about, in fact, as a little teaser here, we're going to get into three three things. It's just a helpful framework in a short time here as we get through this list. Three things anyone can ask to develop their marketing strategy. It's not difficult. It's just that people don't take the time. A, it's awareness. B, it's just they're busy focusing on their trade. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, all right, we've got a couple more I think I see here on the list. So and I want to say these ones are kind of related brands. So what are the, the, next, yeah. the next couple? Yeah, so a lot of times if, I, if I'm speaking to a prospective client or maybe even a brand new client, we're ready to get started. And I ask this question, who's your ideal client? And I get a variety of answers. There's usually two though. Every once in a while, there's a special person that really has this dialed in. But usually it's, well, I mean, anybody who needs what I offer. And if I say, okay, well, sounds fine. Okay, if we were to narrow that down a little more, who would that, who would that person be? Well, anyone who needs what I offer in my area. <laughs> All right. Well, do we have the marketing budget to speak to 
anyone in your area who might need what you have to offer. And then, of course, we realize that from an economic perspective, you know, there are limited resources that we're dealing with. Everyone has limitations. And so we do have to bring some focus on who that ideal client is. And I would say that, you know, if you're trying to market to everyone, you speak effectively to no one. And do you know the main reason for that? I mean, I, I know that you do, but can you, oh. can you think of a main reason why it's hard to speak to everyone right now? And a, a little hint is like, you and I probably already got a text message since I asked you that. You probably already got a phone call you missed. You probably already got an email. <laughs> why is it hard to speak to everybody and anyone? Because we're, you know, we're kind of locked out. We're just distracted. We're, we're constantly on Zoom meetings. We're constantly inside looking at stuff. It's tough to reach people. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone's listening to this and you're driving right now, do you remember the last like three billboards ago? Do you remember what was on that billboard? Do you remember what was on that guy's truck? that maybe he was a pest control guy. Do you remember his name? Do you remember his phone number? I doubt it. And we are bombarded with so many messages. I often tell clients, listen, I know you're focused on this Yahoo that you're trying to overtake in your market that is a competitor. And yeah, they're a competitor. But listen, the main competition we have is the busyness of your potential client. That's what we have to break through. And, and so if we can move away from trying to speak to everyone, to speaking to someone, that message becomes a lot more specific and we'll get into this within the framework. It's just easier to break through all that noise. Yeah, I totally agree. And in addition to that, it's, it's, it's cheaper too. I mean, I'm sure you've read this book, the immutable laws of marketing. Oh, the immutable, right, yeah. What was that guy's name? Was it Maxwell? I'm no, trying. it wasn't. I don't remember. We'll edit uh, this out a... so we sound smart later. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was basically, and this was how they used to think about things in the old like Madison Avenue days. It was like, okay, if you're the, I mean, it was all about market position, right? You got your number one guys probably going to settle around 50%. Your number two guys probably going to be settling around 25 And then it was kind of a fractal all the way down. But basically the amount of money it would take, and, and I think this is the, uh, the, the immutable laws of branding, is that you need to spend money to break out of the concept, like the schema in somebody's head. So why do you think you see all this money getting spent to the Super Bowl? If you think about a great beer to drink on a summer day, that's why we got Coors Light versus Bud, Bud Light. It's the same thing. And like Coke versus Pepsi, they're both competing for the same slot. So unless you happen to set up shop in Antarctica, chances are you're not the first personal injury attorney in town, right? So True. to kind of overcome that, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to take a lot more resources than to be the specific person as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. This isn't on the list, but let me just say another common mistake that it's natural as humans, we emulate things we see. It's just the pattern. It's how it works. We all do it. But what small businesses do is we, they tend to try to emulate big brands like Coke and Pepsi or Budweiser. I have a friend, he's the lead guy in, a, in an ad agency. I can't name the retailer, but think of one of the top retailers in the world. That's his main client. And he'll fly out to LA to oversee a photo shoot that ends up with one picture in one little takeaway at a register, and that'll be $100,000. They'll, they'll charge 50 grand to send out a, a custom email blast, okay? Nobody as a small business owner has those kinds of resources. Or if you do, you need to pursue those kinds of strategies. But for most people, they need to be smart with their dollars. They need to know who they're speaking to. And that way they can be effective when they're trying to speak to them. And that comes to our next point, which is internal business strategy. Yeah, I don't know if you deal with this, but I'm happy to help people develop their strategy 
as a means to an end to get to marketing. We do it all the time. But sometimes it's frightening to me because as a vendor, usually a new vendor, a lot of times what we're being asked, I say, well, who's your ideal client? Not sure. Okay, let's work on that. And what's your messaging? Mm, Not sure. Okay, let's work on that. And then what ends up happening is, is I'm realizing, hey, we're actually developing the internal business strategy of your business. Whose responsibility is that? I mean, do you really want to delegate that to a marketing guy? And while I'm glad, and I know you are too, trust us with helping them hone this in. And I know we're both glad to do that. What if you entrust that to the wrong marketing guy or like a hourly employee or someone fresh out of school who ends up being delegated the marketing decisions to make for the firm? Yeah. I mean, those are kind of some interesting waters. Yeah. Or has a nasty drug habit. <laughs> call that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting too, because it's, it's like sometimes and it's, it's interesting. So I would say as far as the, we work with firms that are uh, solos and, and just by nature of, of the resources that they have, they, they can't afford. So I, I, sometimes, sometimes I'm responding to somebody putting the bat signal in the sky and sometimes they can afford to, uh, to call in the Avengers. Right. <laughs> but, but basically it's, it's interesting because sometimes we do have, and it's, I would say it's pretty rare with most of the law firms that we work with that they have a dedicated marketing hire and as far as who that ends up being a lot of the times it's all over the board i would actually say one of the best marketing folks that i've ever worked with across any any client was actually not a marketing person entitled they were actually titled they were actually the office manager <laughs> yeah it's kind of interesting <laughs> i think office manager means coo in a lot of law <laughs> you're right yeah and they're but, tasked with 150 things as well. And yeah, so and that's the thing of, too. It's like if, if, you're, if you're delegating high-level thought to somebody who's also responsible for cleaning out the garbage bins at the end of the night, what can you really expect out of that? And also, you know, what's the compensation for that too? Usually, that's a situation where you're asking somebody to add a lot of value. And I would say a lot of more intelligent employees are aware that that comes with certain compensation. I mean, and you might find somebody who just likes to do it out of the goodness of their heart, but... I would probably say it's usually pretty rare. Yeah, yeah, it is. And those those people are out there. They they are hard to find. And if you have one, if you're listening, you have that person, hang on to them <laughs> because yeah. they're in high demand. <laughs> so we're coming up to the end of this list here. So we got a couple other ones too. I wish we had a better segue. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's all right. Basically, these are kind of summary points. I mean, if, if you skip the above work, which honestly, most people will have skipped this above strategy work. And it's common. And let me just reemphasize, we do not mind helping clients with this. It's one of our, to use a really cliche term, value adds. We do this part before we move on to the other part. It's just included in the marketing because we want the marketing to be effective. But if you do skip that work and you aren't working with someone who's going to help you dial in that scope, you're going to move from tactic to tactic to tactic. You're going to be throwing the line in this lake or then trying the next lake or then the next lake. And and you're going to be disheartened. You're going to become jaded. I mean, just speaking of SEO, I have SEO companies contact me not even realizing we do SEO saying, hey, your SEO is terrible. You want our help? And I'm like, you guys even know who you're emailing? <laughs> yeah. But you get those messages too, I'm sure. And the thing is, when we do take over someone's online strategy, we're usually the fourth try. It's kind of like, you know what? I think you might be a good option, 
don't really trust you. We've done this before. Let's try it. And and so we have to dig out from this trust deficit even to get to, to ground zero. And that's one of the unintended consequences that really will impact you as a firm. If you go from tactic to tactic, not knowing what you're doing or how to measure it and things aren't working, you'll start to think nothing works and you'll start to think everyone's just lying and and you won't end up investing properly in good marketing that can grow your firm. Yeah. And I would actually, I totally agree with that. And there's, there's a couple of things I'd like to add. And like one of the things just kind of like the size of the shot that you're taking. And I think there's kind of an issue with underinvestment sometimes. And it's actually kind of tough. It's like on some levels, like you're almost more certain to get a better outcome, the more resources you can allocate to something, right? And let's just not talk about money. It's also time. So one of the things I see that's kind of a losing strategy is you go out, you invest a fair amount into a channel and then you're like, oh, that didn't work. So the next time you take a smaller shot and then without knowing it, you think you're hedging your risk, but in reality, you're, you're actually ensuring almost that it's going to be less likely to be successful than the last one. And the, the tough thing is that it's, it's really tough to see from the outside who the good actors are and the bad actors. But mm-hmm. sometimes, I mean, that's the channel. And then sometimes there's, there's issues that are on the other side of the equation as well. And kind of like that old saying, if you run into a jerk in the, in the morning, then that's bad. But if you run into 15 jerks every morning, then you know, maybe it's not everyone else. <laughs> but basically, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that, that, that happening. And, and the worst thing ever too is like, honestly, this is more of an issue, I think, probably when somebody's executing an SEO campaign, which... I've always said, and again, not my specialty, but whenever people ask me about SEO, it's like, yeah, you know what? Most solid SEOs are going to say, it's going to be tough to see something that's going to move the needle before six months, sometimes 12 months. And you don't get any points for having a three quarters baked cake a lot of the time. So that increased sense of urgency is, is, it's like a sabotage loop almost. And you really have to see things through before you can really determine whether it worked or not. Yeah, you're right. And, and SEO does that, have that challenge. And, and I tell people, listen, you don't have to close your eyes like it's a blind trust exercise. And, and getting ahead of myself where we're going to go shortly, every marketing test needs measurement. So you need to have certain dashboard measurements where you can see progress happening. You can start to see some leads flowing in. Maybe they're at a low, lower volume, but with anything technical, I'm sure even some attorneys do this. Sometimes it's it's easy to kind of hide out in the technical weeds and kind of build the smoke screen because maybe that company's not really doing what they should be doing anyway. So there's kind of smoke out there. So it's like, oh, this is really tricky and complicated and we can't really explain it. No, it's pretty straightforward. We know what to measure. We know when it should begin to be measured and, and people can have that visibility. But yes, it does take us a six to 12 month clip usually. And and I, and I do acknowledge that takes a lot of trust, especially after having invested <laughs> in some of the wrong tactics prior to. Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, I'll also say this too. And like I've mentioned this before on the podcast. And one of the things I found super interesting is as I was going through the law firm 500, and it's a list that gets put out. It's kind of like being 5,000 just for law firms. I would probably say 60, 70% of the top 50 all have really, really strong SEO presences. Clearly, people have made it to the other side of this chasm. So it's 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 definitely a worthwhile endeavor. I just didn't want to <laughs> spin that like I'm into SEO, but it's like, yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely worth the win of works. Yeah. Well, hey, should we get to the framework? I don't want to keep people waiting here. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get rock and rolling. All right. So yeah, let's talk about what to do with this information. <laughs> 
All right, yes. So this is not original to me. There's this old school grumpy guy named Dan Kennedy. He came up with this. He's in the direct response marketing world. If you've ever seen one of those proactive infomercials for acne for teenagers, it's a billion dollar campaign. He's behind a lot of these campaigns. He boils it down to three three things, three M's. Okay. There's market, there's message, and there's media. And so if you're a lawyer and you're trying to answer this question for yourself, hmm, okay, how do I apply this in in a concise way? Just think through these three steps, okay? Who is your market? Well, your market is everyone who needs what you have and probably everyone in your geographic area. It could also be who your ideal client is. Well, who's your ideal client? Well, it could be a few people. It could be the most profitable client, which is how a lot of people like to look at it. It could be the client that you know you can get the best results for. It could be the the client or the the type of service you have the most passion for. You know, speaking back to estate planning, maybe there's an element that you just love solving. You do it so well. It's it's kind of like your hedgehog, use the Jim Collins word. And so however you want to evaluate it, that's your call. But once you identify who that ideal client is, or maybe it's one or two different types of ideal clients, you can apply the 80-20 rule. You don't have to say no to everybody else. You're still going to get referrals outside of those ideal clients. But guess what? Those ideal clients are probably going to refer other ideal clients to you. You're going to have testimonies from those ideal clients, and it becomes self-perpetuating. But the second thing that's actually more important, once you identify your ideal client within your market, now you know what your message should be. I challenge you to look around to your competitors and try to figure out what makes them unique because it'll easier to be easier to see their error versus your own. And then consider the question, what makes me unique to, to help that ideal client? Okay. If you end up with words like value, service, price, those are really, I don't want to say bad answers, Dan Kennedy would blast you for that. They're just not the best answers. Okay. Because if, if we have to compete using the words everyone else is using, a message is not going to break through and we're going to end up in a price war if we just seem like we're everybody else. Yeah, 100%. It's a commodity too. It's like, that's the other thing. <laughs> I was like, well, Brant, do you mean to tell me that we care about our clients and provide great services, not a game changing brand proposition? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's like where the bar starts. Okay. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, and honestly, these days, that is a high bar. Yeah, that's you know, true. <laughs> doing what you say. But but yes, when you're communicating, let's go back to our estate planning example. All right. Well, if your market is anyone who needs estate planning, guess what? You know, LegalZoom has wills. Someone who's in the Medicare market might need some estate planning for even medical reasons have, have brought some of those or Medicaid questions have come into play. Or maybe you prefer helping a wealthy family who has a blended family who has more complexity. Maybe you want to charge a little bit more than the average estate planning attorney. Okay. Well, if you identify that ideal client, can you see how your messaging is going to be a little different? It's not, we offer estate planning, come one, come all. We have great customer service. It's, are you a blended family are you the responsible person in a blended family dealing with complex real estate and estate issues where you have to consider a number of different parties in your planning and a number of different people to make happy while also protecting yourself? That's a pretty specific message we're talking about now. 
you see how that's going to appeal a little bit more to that ideal client? Yeah, hundred percent too. And like, that's the thing, that's the person who doesn't want legal zoom. And I would kind of argue people who are trying to price gouge at the end of the day, those are the ones who see this as a commodity, but they also you know, generally have less at stake in some ways. And I, I think this is kind of going back to a super old school, like Michael Porter, I think is a concept. You fundamentally have two strategies in business. You can be a value leader or you can be a price leader. And guess what? You got to be big. Walmart can be a price leader. You hang up your shingle on the first day of opening your practice. The, the price leadership will not take you far. Yeah, absolutely. And bankruptcy would be a great example of that. The $99 bankruptcy ad that's out there. You, you don't get to talk to your attorney until you show up at the hearing. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he's even yeah. sick that day. I don't know. But cutting through that noise happens with a very specific message. And then guess what? We didn't start with the lure. We didn't start with the rod. We're, we're coming to the last M last, which is where it should be, media. Once you know your market, once you know how to speak to that market, then you can ask, where are they hanging out? Which lake are they hanging out? Let me go to that lake. Living in North Carolina, if I want to catch a salmon, I can't go fishing here. I'm going to have to go to the store to buy that. So if you start with media, though, can you see how you end up in a completely different place? Then let's say you take out an ad in a magazine. You don't really know who the market that reads the magazine. Let's say they tell you it's a certain demographic. Then the next question they're going to ask you is, what do you want your ad to say? Hmm, I don't know. Let me see some other ads as examples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. going completely <laughs> backwards now. No, it's a, it's a tail wagging the dog. And honestly, what I really like about this framework, Brent, is that you can arrive at a completely different place just based on the expectations that you're going into this exercise with. And that's the thing. If you're you're starting from chasing this shiny object and trying to follow everyone else, you're setting yourself up for failure because like whatever, like let's say it's the magazine, all of a sudden you're trying to sell estate planning services like furniture restoration or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then who knows? Okay, that's awesome. And then like as far as like, you know, just kind of expectations and this kind of thing, one of the things I see often is people having these preconceived notions of, one thing is, is they read it in a book somewhere, you should get some sort of an ROI on marketing. And also, I think one of the things no book talks about is the time that it takes to get ROI yes, on marketing. Absolutely. So can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah. So here's another word picture to kind of summarize this. The first one is fishing. You start with your market, then you go to your message, and then you choose your media. But once you've done that, and we're all human. These are our best guesses, right? They're, they're educated guesses. Now we have to literally go out there and begin testing this. So the word picture is a combination lock. I don't even know if they still use these in school. I'm 42 now. So I, they're probably like on their smartphone now. I have no idea. But <laughs> you, you used to have three different numbers, right? You turn right, find that first number. Maybe some people even remember this number. Then they go back. You got to pass it and land on it. Then you go to the last one. Boom. The locker's going to open. Well, we've all been in a hurry. We've all tried that. Maybe at the gym even. You miss one. And you're like, okay, what happened? I missed one of the numbers. Which one? Well, let me spin, spin, spin. Let me start over. All right. All three of these things have to line up properly like a combination lock. And that does take time and it does take testing. It's not a blind exercise where it's just open-ended, where you just have to hope it's going to work. But if we know we have the right ideal customer or client, and we believe we have the right message, well, then let's test the media. All right. Well, now we have, as you know, you got to tweak Facebook ad spend. Am I spending enough each day? Okay. Hey, we got a couple leads. Let's see if we can get more. Let's tweak the messaging a little bit. You were talking about headlines. 
as you start refining that process and, and when someone is committed to that testing process, you, that's how you dial in those three numbers when you can begin having com- uh, conversations about scale. And this, this idea that everyone loves is that I want to put in $1 and get out two. Well, you can get to that point, and many firms have done that, but it comes over time with a commitment to understanding these three M's and also a process of testing and measurement to make tweaks along the way to improve those results. Yeah. And ultimately too, I think it's so important from when you start from the point of an ideal client, it's, it also kind of makes the stakes different because if you're just trying to crack this, this code and you're going to have a harder time and you're beating your head against the wall and it's literally just to close a deal, that's completely different than having the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is having your ideal clients and as many of them as you can potentially reach your market. So I think it's also a super important thing as far as actually making this whole process worthwhile. So Grant, I think it's been super awesome. I know we're kind of getting towards the end of the time we had allocated and yeah. uh, I would love to continue this conversation. But if people are kind of vibing with you, they, they like what you're saying and they want to take a next step, what's the best place to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate that. You can reach out to us at automaticoutreach.com. Just the word automatic and outreach. And this is just a simple website. We have other websites, but this would be a way where you could submit a request for a complimentary competitive analysis. What we would do is we'd take a look at, we would start with who your ideal client is as a question, but in general, what are the type of clients you're trying to obtain? What market? We would look at your competitors and we would begin to give you some some information on what that's going to take from a strategic point of view, especially on Google but not limited to Google. And and that's how you could get in touch with us. All right. Awesome. And I also want to say too, just like as kind of like a wrapper for this whole thing, bringing it full circle to the metaphor of the uncle. It's like there, there's a situation if, if you're, at the mercy of just kind of having whatever you can find if you're at referrals. It's like this, this skill set becomes super important because the best thing is that when you have this, the strategy dialed in and whether it's working with somebody like brand or taking the time to kind of learn all of this stuff on your own, that's really how you can get these consistent results. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having the, uh, taking the time brand. I think it's been a really great conversation and I will be back with the rest of you guys for another episode of the law firm growth podcast next week at Tuesday, 8am. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.